All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I am Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. And this evening, we are joined by author David Bell. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, David. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So we are uh, talking this evening about your book, uh, Cemetery Girl. Diana, you have to say something. So, so you're, you're doing something. Up. So that's okay. <laughs> Cemetery Girl. Now, I understand this is a re-release. It's uh, yeah. It originally came out in 2011, and they just brought it out in the last few weeks as a mass market paperback. So uh, with a little slightly altered cover there. Um, so it was just another push on the book in airports and grocery stores and places like that. Hmm, that's interesting. Because yeah, we haven't had many re-releases, at least on the show. Um, so that we were curious about, you know, how that worked. But it, so it was only in hardback prior to this? It was only in uh, trade paperback, the slightly okay. larger size paperback, um, and then a book club edition and stuff like that. Um, so this whole mass market thing was just a new thing to try to get it in places that it probably hadn't been in before, like Walmart and Sam's Club and um, you know grocery stores and airports and places like that that call carry the smaller paperbacks. That must be pretty cool to be going through, like, say, an airport or, like, Walmart, and all of a sudden your book's just there on the shelf next to some random Walmart good. Well, it it, um, it gives me an excuse to go to Walmart because ordinarily I don't go there. But uh, <laughs> and I, if someone sees me, I can say, no, I'm just looking for my book. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that actually might sound worse. I don't know. Like, oh, you're just looking for your book right yeah heck no i would look for my book everywhere yeah well you, you try to be cool about it you don't want people to think you're just wandering around stores looking for your own book but really everybody is all authors are um but you kind of have to be sly like oh i'm just here to get milk and i just ended up in the book aisle you mean this isn't vibe. where they sell plungers? No? Okay, wrong section. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool, though. I, I would love to walk through any store and, and see my book. That must be really exciting. Oh, yeah, I, I can't complain. And, and I think, um, yeah, the more store, like grocery stores and places like that, I, I think that's particularly cool, you mm -hmm. know, because you figure, you like to think just, all sorts of people are walking past your book. Um, most of them are not picking up the book, but they're at least walking past it on their way to something else. They they could see my book. So they I They could like see that. the book and they could be like, huh, I should buy that on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Which is what they're, I do. No, they see it and they think, I bet I can get that at my library. <laughs> and then they, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So what is to support our libraries? And I love libraries. I yes. Do. Yes. So um, Diane and I were talking uh, about um, about Cemetery Girl before before the show, and one of the questions that she had brought up, and I don't know now if it's it might be a little outdated since this was your your first book, and now it's been re released. But we were talking about how there have been several 
um, people has several women who have gone who went missing and then years later turned up and were found alive and we we're just talking about the comparison so was were there any influences real life events that that inspired your book it, not not directly um, but around the time I was writing it I'm trying to remember I think the Elizabeth Smart case happened before I wrote the book. Mm. And then I think the J.C. DeGard case happened after I had written the book. It was kind of like that, or, or, or while I was writing the book. So I, I didn't have any of those cases in mind. Um, I've always just been fascinated by missing persons cases. I just think those are particularly weird and disturbing and maybe even more disturbing than just a murder case because I feel like when there's a death then there's closure you know you know you at least know the person's dead and you know mm -hmm. something has happened mm -hmm. but when someone disappears um it's it's totally open-ended and you don't know is this person ever going to come back are they alive did with teenagers, you know, there's always that question of, well, did they run away? Uh, did they did they want to go somewhere else and not be with their family or whatever? So, so to me, missing persons cases have always been really disturbing and strange. So, so I, I've written about that a lot in my other books. And so, but in this case, it was just what would happen if a kid came back, but then refused to say where she had been or what she had been doing. And so in that sense, the mystery and the open-endedness of it would continue for the parents. So that's really what I was thinking when I wrote the book, that the father becomes obsessed with trying to get even more answers, even though, you know, it just, he keeps running into more dead ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been reading the book and actually before we came on, I was like hurrying to try to finish cause I'm not quite there yet almost to the point of being finished everybody and dies everybody dies. <laughs> spoiler alert yeah <laughs> well even before you came on i'm like reading the book and i was like oh that really did happen and it, michelle's like spoilers spoilers because <laughs> she gets the book after me oh <laughs> so yeah i can michelle, attest to michelle can't go into her local walmart and buy <laughs> the book for herself <laughs> You know what? I'm going to go to my local Walmart, oh, my mom's local Walmart tomorrow, and I'm going to hunt this book down okay, and I tag you <laughs> once okay. I find it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm out of the two of us. Uh, I'm the the thriller lover. I, I love the psychological thrillers. I love the murder mysteries. But I think, you know, like you said, missing persons and missing persons and disappearances have that extra level of you know what happened we don't know what happened but then on top of it in your story i think it's really interesting that the point where the families usually get closure is almost where the thriller starts again it like resets itself because they're not getting the closure that they wanted yeah and for me re as a reader i'm not a huge thriller reader. I don't read a lot. And when, you know, there, when there's one that like sucks me in like this one did, um, you know, it's good. That's why, you know, I'm texting it, you know, I'm texting Michelle. 
about it as I as I'm reading it, as you know, we are want to do when we talk about the books that we're reading. And she and I'm like, you know, I really like this book, and I'm getting it, you know, into it. And I'm like, I can't believe this happened. And oh my god, Abby, which we will get into in a few minutes. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and Michelle will just respond to me. She's like, Okay, if you really like this book, then I'm going to have to read this book. I'm going to really like this book too. Um, just because of that thriller aspect of it. And the psych it's more psychological, I feel like. Um, you know, I just recently watched Get Out, which was just total psychological thriller, but the like Michelle said, it resets itself. So it's so psychological with what happened to her and what's this guy doing and all of that. So. Well, what else are you going to do when you go visit your parents, but uh, read a book <laughs> so you don't have to deal with them. Right. So <laughs> it's perfect for you while you're visiting mom. Well, hope some mom's a book nerd too. So. Oh, okay. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, we, we love to find a book that, that we can both obsess over. And then and then we obviously have to get two copies because we can't possibly share one. If that never works. Right, right. Never, never. Yeah. See, yeah, my, sales, think... my sales are going up exponentially during this call. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because, I mean, I've got the book. Michelle's got to get the book. Her mom's Mom got to get the book, get the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think mom will be into it, too. It's and, the yeah, stuff. It is. It is. And, you know, we need to unpack some stuff about Abby. Okay. Yeah. What I love about... to hate Abby. I yeah. mean, and it's, and it's not so much in the beginning, it's easy to hate her. It really is. She just, she comes off as just, to put it bluntly, she's let her grief kind of turn her into a bitch. And uh, yeah, you could tell dog lover. So hey. right off the bat, um, in those first few chapters, um i'm like excuse me but with uh frosty the dog i was like uh -oh. oh no yeah abby no 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 right right uh, yeah yeah and then but i what i like is how you know she changes during the story and you get to see the complicated grief that she's going through and it's not the stereotypical mother response to that you see would see in movies where it's like, Oh my God, my kids here. You see that panic. You see that fear. Was that something purposely that she wanted to put into her character? Well, I was trying to, to the big thing is that there's a conflict between the parents and that they don't, they have very different reactions to their child disappearing. Mm -hmm. And that, um, Stereotypically, I'm going to engage in stereotypes here, okay? But mm -hmm. stereotypically, you would think it would be the mother who would be more emotional and more like, we have to find her and I'll never give up, whatever. And it would be the father who would be stuffing his emotions and saying, let's move on and let's be cut and dry about this. And so they, they, they kind of have role reversal here, where it's the father who is saying, I, you know, I, I don't want to move on. I, I want to keep searching for her. And it's the mother, Abby, who is saying, we need closure. We need to move on. We need to get on with our lives. She's never coming back. So, so I was trying to, so they, they were different in that sense. And then um, I was trying to say that they were, I mean, the first thing is that there's no, there's no normal reaction to something like this happening 
to somebody. I mean, it's, it's just a horrifying thing. So there's not a normal reaction. Um, and they both try to cope in different ways. And so uh, Abby has become religious. She's involved when, with the church, and that's kind of been something that has helped her move on. Um, and then um, originally in the book, this is inside information for everybody who's tuning Ooh. into this. Exclusive yes. Wine, Women, and Words. This is, yes. Mm. Um, this is like the director's cut of the book. Um, <laughs> of Only available in Sam's Club. Um, uh, originally, Tom, the father, was, um, was going to be seeing a psychic. And the psychic was going to be counseling him about his daughter uh, having disappeared and come back and all that stuff. And I was trying to say that, you know, Tom is critical of Abby for turning to the church. You know, he mm -hmm. kind of has disdain for the church, but then he was finding comfort in talking to the psychic. Um, and my editor decided that the psychic was a little too cliched to have mm -hmm. the psychic in there. So the psychic became the uh, volunteer victim services woman um, who helps Tom. Okay. Um, and, and so still, still though, the point being that, um, like I said, he's kind of disdainful of her turning to the church uh, and using that to move on. Um, but, but everybody needs something to move on. You don't, you don't mm -hmm. go through these things alone. And so he was turning to someone too. And, and I, was, I was hopeful, my goal was that the book was saying, you've got these people, they're having these very different reactions. I hope the reader doesn't feel like anybody's reaction is being criticized, just that, that these are just reactions. There's not a right or wrong way to respond to something like this. Um, and everybody tries to cope the best they can. And, and I think both Tom and Abby make mistakes and they do things right. Um, and and they try to survive as best they can, uh, which is basically what we all do in life, whether it's something this big or, or just our everyday lives. So, so I was, you know, that was just where I, the center of the story was kind of this conflict in that marriage. And, uh, and so anyway, that was interesting to, to me to explore. Yeah, that was a really interesting concept and um, interesting as a reader to, to read, to see that interplay between Tom and Abby within the marriage and watching you're reading the effects of how what this did to them and how it affected them in their relationships because i mean when all, at the end of the day when you're married you're still two separate people you don't just become one hive mind within the relationship right. um so i think you did a really good job of that of exploring that um between the two of them them being two people and even with abby just having these really complex uh, feelings. I mean, even though, you know, she's the mother, she still has that mothering thing, but that, that really struck me when, um, cause I mean, it's no secret, you know, Caitlin comes back. Um, but her reaction to initially seeing Caitlin, that, that initial panic really got to me of that, you know, there, her girl could have been changed this much. This isn't her same little girl. She doesn't know what happened to her. She doesn't know what to expect. And she just needed more time than Tom did to come in there. And so I love how complicated she is. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin is gone. You know, this is on the back of the book, I believe. So it's not spoiling anything. Mm -hmm. Caitlin is 
gone for four years Mm -hmm. and she's gone from age 12 to age 16. Well, I mean, how much do we change from age 12 to age 16? That's Mm -hmm. age 12 is essentially you're right on the border between like girl and woman, you know, or, or preteen and teen or whatever, however you want to put it, right. Child and adult. It's kind of a, a weird thing. 16 is practically an adult right Mm -hmm. you know in so many ways so those four years that they missed with her um was this time of enormous change for her um and so then how do you deal with that i mean it it, in a way it's kind of like a stranger coming Mm -hmm. back into your life Uh, i mean teenagers i think uh probably seem like strangers to their parents (laughs) at times you know I uh, I imagine my parents probably looked at me during those years and said where did he come from you know what's in his mind right Um, who dropped him off in the middle of the night (laughs) right so so anyway so I I think it would be it's difficult enough I would imagine being the parent of a teenager going Mm -hmm. through that transformation but then imagine you've missed four years. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I mean, I, I think they both even think at times, is this really her? Like, you know, mm-hmm. who is this person who came back and we're being told this is your daughter? But after four years, is she's not entirely the same person. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a tricky time to for parents to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, that and, you know, as... I have two kids. I have a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and j- huge fan of, of shows, you know, like Criminal Minds and love that show. But anytime an episode comes on where it's about a missing child or a child getting kidnapped, like I can feel it in, in my chest that I, I get anxious for the parents and, and want to know where my kids are in the house. So I already know like reading Cemetery Girl is going to be like, okay, it's a book. It's not real. She didn't really go missing. So tapping and being able to, to tap into those emotions as a writer and connect with the readers and be able to, to tap into that anxiety, that's a really tricky feat to pull off. Um, but, but that's, I, that's one of the scariest things for a parent to, to even think about about you know your child going missing so i ugh, just yeah it's, it's creepy <laughs> it's to talk just, about it's just like riding a roller coaster you know you're you're paying your money to take the roller coaster ride and then you get off at the end and everybody's fine <laughs> put your safety harness on and it's fine <laughs> but 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 what you're saying is um i, I don't have children okay so so I have not experienced that, right? Um, but but it is universal that I think anybody who's attached to anybody, you have that anxiety over losing them. We worry about losing our parents. We worry about losing our spouses. Parents worry about losing their children. Um, so So even someone who's not a parent, I think, can relate to uh, just that anxiety of, uh, our lives are tenuous mm-hmm. to some extent, um, maybe to a great extent. Uh, and uh, 
um, and 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 bad things happen to people as sometimes out of the blue. So um, so good. I want people to feel that way. I want people to think <laughs> about that. Yes. And I think uh, one of the, one of my many conversations with with uh, my mom just uh, we were I was watching a Criminal Minds episode and a child was kidnapped and I kept saying you know one of the things like that's either going to pull a marriage closer together or it's going to tear them apart. But so much of of that is how to to deal with the blame because no matter what what no matter what the circumstances are you're going to either blame yourself or you're going to blame the other person or you're going to blame the other person that they're not grieving the same way or how you think they should be grieving. So there's so many emotions going on and and to to map that out. I mean when you were writing, did you kind of know the arc that your characters were going to have or did it just kind of develop? You know, it's strange um this was the first book that I had published by um, by Penguin, by a big New York publisher. And so I did not have an outline for it of any kind. Uh, now when I write a book, I have some kind of an outline, some kind of sense of where everything's gonna go. Um, but for this one, because it was the first one with them, I didn't really have an outline. I mean, I just kind of had my own sense of where I wanted the story to go and what I wanted the characters to do. Um, so, so yeah, I it didn't I didn't have a plan, um, but I think it's, it, you know, it's interesting being married, being in a long term relationship. Um, you you get a whole sense of how um, different people respond in different ways to different things, and different families respond in different ways to different things. My wife and I, uh, we've been married almost twenty years. We've known each other almost thirty years, and so we know each other's families very well. But we'll still occasionally have these conversations where we say, you know, uh, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the way your family does it. Right. Like, like your, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, like your your parents would do that. My parents would never do this and, and blah, blah, blah. And so what seems perfectly normal to me, like when we go to my family and I and I say like, and I can totally understand what everybody's thinking can still seem strange to my wife. And vice versa, I, I will be around her family and I'll say like, yeah, I think like, man, you know, you're, I, I, you know, your parents are acting strange about this or what's going on. She's like, oh, I understand. It's, you know, and so, like, everybody's different. Everybody's mm -hmm. different. And, and people talk about things in different ways and, and show emotion in different ways. Um, so family and marriages are just very complicated. And then you throw a disaster like this into the middle of it. And, and who knows what the consequence is going to be. And that's some of the fun parts about being a writer is just you throw a bunch of elements in there and you get to be a chemist and explore the, the site, you know, the, you know, the psychological experiment that you threw together and kind of see what works and what happens with it. Well, it's, it's, um, it's an opportunity to get to do horrible things <laughs> to imaginary people you know you, that's really the goal is to take nice normal people and have something horrible happen to them like their mm -hmm. child disappears or whatever and then see what happens to them so it is kind of like uh being a mad scientist you know and you're looking down on these people and 
uh, mixing up the elements and seeing how they respond, right? Much better than doing it in real life. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> in real life, there's a lot more consequences. There are, yes. yes. And it, at some point, you have to stop writing and do your evil laugh while while you're preparing your next plot twist. Right, you have to rub your hands together and yeah, yeah, like uh, who's the guy? Mr. Burns on The Simpsons, you have to act yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still think back to um, Neil Gaiman. I was at a reading that he did and somebody asked him what his greatest fear was. He said his greatest fear was his character showing up at his front door. And oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. I think they'd be very mad. Why did you do that to me? Yeah. <laughs> we did nothing to you. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I imagine in a way it's kind of like children, you know, we, we get older and, you know, we, at some point we've all had this conversation with our parents where we say like, remember when I was seven and you did that, you know, whatever to me, or you wouldn't let me go wherever. And, you know, the, your, the parent is like, I don't even remember that or like, I didn't mean anything by that or I was just trying to do my best. It's kind of like that. It's like when the children come back and say, why did you do that to me in the sixth grade? You know, that warped me for the rest of my life. Uh, it would be the same way with the characters. They'd come back and say, why were you mean to me, daddy? Why did you do that? And I've never recovered from it. Because I could. Right. Because I needed to entertain people who bought the book at Walmart. Exactly. I needed something to happen in the book, and you just got in the way. Yeah. <laughs> You're at the wrong place at the wrong time. It happens, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a scary thought. To Some books that I've read, if those characters showed up at authors' houses, that would, that would be a very awkward dinner party. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see them again, I don't think. <laughs> so I love the movie Stranger Than Fiction. And oh, right, is that, is that the one with, uh, is that Will Ferrell? Yeah, yeah, that's one with Will Ferrell where, yeah, she's writing the book and it's basically, she's narrating his life. Right, and then there's a Stephen King short story called Word Processor of the Gods. Uh-huh. Read that, but it's where the guy gets a word. It's like you know, it happened thirty years ago. So he gets a word processor, not a computer. Uh, but he's able to what he writes happens, and if he deletes people from what he's writing, then those people disappear. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think the story ends with him deleting his wife from the story. So it's basically him getting rid of his wife. My wife might be listening in the other room. I hope she's not. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, not so going to do it. Yeah, I think that that you know, writers, writers, and movie directors, and people like that, they probably have a little bit of a of a god complex. You know, you're you're moving pieces around on a chessboard to make something interesting happen. Yes. Well, that's that. It's what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know you're having another, your next book is coming out in July, is that right? July 10th, yes. Not that I'm counting, but yes, July 10th. <laughs> Somebody's Daughter, it's called Somebody's Daughter. Uh, and it's, um, 
this is the story of a guy. It's a guy uh, named Michael, and he and he has a good life, and he's married, and everything is going very well in his life. And um, the only problem in his life, the only mistake he's ever made, is that he was he had a very brief starter marriage after college, and he got divorced, and he hasn't seen his ex-wife uh, in a decade until one night. Michael's at his house and the doorbell rings and there is his ex-wife on the doorstep. Uh, and she says, I need your help. My daughter is missing. And mm. spoiler alert, <laughs> your daughter. And you've got to help me find her. So he has to ask himself, well, is she telling me the truth? Um, what if this is my child? Uh, Michael and his wife, his current wife, are having some fertility problems, so they haven't been able to get pregnant. So this might be the only chance he has to have a child, if this is his child. Um, so he has to go out into the night, and the whole story takes place in 12 hours overnight. Wow. Uh, as Michael gets in a car with his ex-wife, and then Michael's current wife goes off in the night with his ex-wife's, Michael's ex-wife's, ex-boyfriend and they're all out looking for this missing child um and lots of crazy family secrets are revealed um so wow. july yes you can pre-order now oh yes because i think that's going to need to be a summer read because i mean you got to have a mystery during the summertime those are like necessary yeah. beach reads poolside reads you got to have at least one during the summer I agree. It's coming out July 10th, so you can take it on vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be a fast read. Lots mm -hmm. of surprises. Um, no, no animals, no dogs are hurt. So, <laughs> so Diana can't read it. They're not taken to the pound in this one. Nothing like that. Well, yeah, you, you need a book that you can yell at because, you, you know, you need, you need a good book that, that makes you so mad. I, I love books that I have to put down and walk away from for a while because the characters are just pissing me off too much. I've literally thrown yeah. books across the room. This one almost got thrown across the room. In the best possible way. Yes, and that's yeah, yeah. I love. I'm Italian, so when we throw things, it means we love them. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I, in real life, people make us want to throw things frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, and so why shouldn't fictional characters make us want to throw things? You exactly. Know I mean? It means you tapped into our emotions and you stirred into that, that passion part when you made us angry or you made us upset. Um, so uh, hopefully, yes. Yeah. So anytime you can elicit that such a strong emotion, that's such a great thing for a writer to be able to do. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Well, I know right now we are uh, about to transition over into our book of the month. And like I said, David, you're welcome to stay and join us if you want. And if not, you are you can go about the rest of your evening. Um, but thank you so much for making the time for us and chatting with us about Cemetery Girl. Yes, thank you for having me on. It, it was fun, and I'd be happy to come back any other time. Um, and and I'll plan it. See, I had to go out tonight, but I'll plan it next time that I'm having my one or two drinks 
during the conversation. Absolutely. It sounds like a good conversation for somebody's daughter. Yeah, yeah I it could get come back in July for that. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We had so much fun talking with you. All right, thank you. It was nice talking to you and nice meeting you. You too. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye. So we are going to switch over um, to talk about the lost season of Love and Snow. Where no dogs get sent to the pound. There's <laughs> people missing. <laughs> I have not wanted to throw this book across the room as of yet, though things may change as we go on since we've already talked about the history of this. So Sorry. About, talk to me about where you're at in the story and what your so, thoughts are. I'm at, all right, kind of a side note that I'm really curious to ask Jennifer about. I'm like, I haven't read that far, so I'm, I'm still at the beginning, but I'm like oddly fascinated about the tree that Natalia is really interested in. And I want to know if that really was part of the decorations because it sounds gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, talking about the tree is probably not the conversation that you were hoping to steer the conversation in, but I just had to say that. Well, you know, I understand. I mean, you all have those aspects of the books that we love. So you love a tree. It's all good. <laughs> well, it's where she met Alexander. So it's a valid thing to be interested in. It is very valid. Cause I know they did meet at a winter's fall. Um, what was it? I was watching. Oh no, I wasn't watching something. Um, I think Jennifer was telling me about it because um, there's been a, um, oh no, you mentioned it last week. There was a resurgence of Natalia becoming yes. a heroine again and they've held winter balls because we know, so we know they met at a winter ball. Yes. So it's not that far of a jump about the tree. Well, we'll definitely have to ask her. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have to say, I love that in the what when this 1800s mm -hmm. guys are still doing or we're already doing i guess the send a friend over yes yes and how many centuries of human history <laughs> some things have never changed here go tolstoy go talk to my friend i i can't i can't get an answer from her directly you go talk to her for me right like seriously you're women are like falling over at your feet and you you're like the Russian Casanova kind of, and you're still sending a friend over to, to scout out a girl for you. I, I kind of love that. Yes. And it's so, it's so cute. And it's so very something that you can connect with the modern times because we really haven't changed that much. That shyness that, oh my gosh, does she really like me? <laughs> And then the ground shifted beneath her feet and her heart skipped a beat. And that is exactly what novels said should happen. Exactly. Exactly. So you're at the part where they've, so you're, you're just past where uh, Tolstoy comes to see if she still likes him. Well, I've, I've gone past like the initial meeting. So mm -hmm. and I'm just like a little into chapter two. I'm not that far. I know. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm not too far into it, but so early favorites, I texted you this earlier today. Early favorites are Tolstoy, and I really hope he continues in the novel because he's an awesome character. 
um, and um, Aunt Katya. I love Aunt Katya. Aunt Katya is so much fun. Does she stick around at least for the chapters that you've read? Um, somewhat, yeah. She's, she's I, going around. I thought it was so interesting, like back how, I mean, back in that time, how women rated each other's successes were based on, I mean, basically in part, how they dress at the ball. I mean, she, when you first meet Aunt Katya, Natalia says that her, you know, success at court was visible and how in her gown and how it was embroidered and had gold thread. Um, and I just thought like that, that really hasn't changed so much. Like, I mean, we women still judge each other to a certain extent on how, what we're wearing and how we dress and not all women. I don't want to make up like in statement, but you but know what I mean? Still, um, you know, it's still to an extent where we still have that, where, you know, how someone looks is we're still judged on our looks, mm -hmm. um, regardless of whether it's for, you know, a job or going out. It's, it's, you know, your successes are very much measured in that and women will still judge each other based on their looks. And, and it's so ingrained, I think in our culture and who we are as people in general that we'll do, we'll judge somebody. You see, you know, they could be the richest person in the world they walk it up to you looking like a homeless person, you're going to assume that they're a homeless person. Right. So that's still such a huge deal. Um, and then also take into consideration too, what else did they have going for them back then? I mean, it wasn't like they had careers. You right. weren't allowed to be as out there as their male counterparts were. So they had to have this. They had to work with what they had. Well, and I think, I mean, in, so basically the whole, um, you know, the, the whole beginning of the novel is Natalia getting ready for the ball and then her dance with Tolstoy. Mm -hmm. So, and two things, um, I, one of the points just flew out of my head. I have two points. One of them was, oh, I remember. Um, one was how while well, they're dancing and she's talking with Tolstoy and she kind of comes up with a, a clever comeback and he starts laughing and he laughs really loud and um and boisterously and she says that you know men can laugh as loud as they want and that's sad like really you women can't you, you know women couldn't laugh out loud back then you had to like giggle or hide behind your fan Yes. Right, you have to, I can't think of a woman that, that's called being ladylike. And then another to, to your point, um, when Tolstoy was telling her that she, that he had been to America, and he asked her, "Have you have you ever heard of the Alaskan Peninsula?" And she said that she had, and he acted all surprised. And she made that comment to the reader, like, "Did." Did men think that women thought of nothing besides, you know, marriage? Like women still had aspirations and they still had, they still wanted, or some, you know, some women still wanted to be educated and know it was out there in the world. It wasn't just all about marrying good or marrying up. So I like that she's, you know, for as much as she is still very, you know, she's still very much a woman in that time, but she's